Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by our senior economist, Matt Burgess. G'day Matt. Hi Ben, happy new year. Happy new year to you Matt. 2022 is going to be a very big year on all things environment. Um, Matt's joined us today to talk through three of these. So the first is of course the uh, increase in the price of the New Zealand ETS. Uh, We've also got the emissions reduction plan that the government set to deliver in May this year. And finally, uh, the government's business case for the Lake Onslow battery. Matt, let's start with the ETS. What's going on there? Yeah, so I think the first big event uh, of this year, uh, at least on the climate front, has already happened. We've got a $75 ETS. Now, just to put that in context, this time two years ago, the ETS price was about $22. Uh, And actually, we're seeing something similar overseas. The the price on the European ETS uh, is at a whopping 142 New Zealand dollars as we speak, 84 euro. So, uh, look, this is... um, this is surprising news. That's the first thing. I don't think anybody expected a seventy-five dollar ETS uh, this soon. I think another surprising thing is that nobody's writing. This dramatic increase in, in the ETS price has happened without any serious disruption. So that's great because it tells you that actually an emissions, a fairly aggressive emissions price, is surprisingly acceptable to voters. It's putting up the price of petrol and electricity, cost of most goods and services right across the economy. Uh, having a pretty significant effect on those. Uh, that's going to double the price of the wholesale price of coal, more or less, if you're still burning coal uh, for steel or electricity. So, you know, it's not a trivial thing and it's going to have a real impact on emissions and nobody seems too upset about that. So, actually, if you're worried about emissions, climate change, this is great news. Uh, if you happen to be uh, working on um, uh, emissions policies to go alongside the ETS, this should be a signal to at least hit pause. Because if the main tool for reducing emissions is doing far better than anybody expected it would, at the very least the government should be thinking about, well, uh, how much more do we need to do? Now, I think what's interesting about $75 is that we've now had several studies, including two from officials, Ministry for the Environment and Climate Change Commission, that have both shown that an ETS price of only $50 is enough to get us to the main emissions target, net zero by 2050. So if $50 enough is enough to get us to net zero, then $75 means existing policies already have us on track. In fact, we're well ahead of track. Um, based on the Climate Change Commission's study last year, I think $75 is going to get us to net zero sometime around 2040. So we're actually well ahead of a track. So one of the things, uh, there's a few consequences of a $75 ETS. One is that officials have to stop telling the government that uh, the ETS is not enough. It is enough. If you are willing to judge the the ETS against the targets which Parliament has set, which is to reduce net emissions, not gross emissions, net emissions to zero by 2050, the ETS and existing policies are enough to do that because they're at $75. You just can't logically say that $50 gets us to net zero and then argue that at $75 the ETS is not enough. That doesn't make sense. In fact, it's a lie. And Rod Carr and other um, officials have to stop telling MPs in Parliament the ETS is not enough. It is. Now the question is what else should we do? And all of this matters because the second big event this year is the Emissions Reduction Plan and we're going to get that towards the end of May and that's going to be a a vast collection of uh, new emissions policies going to hit us in the back pocket. It's going to hurt and the government's going to stand up and say we have to do this because of our commitments to reduce net emissions. Well here's the context for that plan when it's delivered. Uh, and that is that existing policies absolutely have us on track already to deliver our emissions targets that Parliament has defined. 
that's the context for considering whether these additional policies that are going to hurt quite substantially, whether they're really worth doing. The government's going to say those policies are necessary. That's th- those statements will be untrue. Right, so they're looking to have all sorts of policies that presumably will be expensive, require all sorts of behaviour change on, on behalf of New Zealanders. They're going, to, they're going to sting. But you're saying that actually there's a good news story. The good news story is that the ETS is working. We probably don't need any of these other other policies that they're proposing. The key thing is that these other policies are not necessary. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do them, but they have to be considered as optional not as necessary. So the government, and what the, and re, that's really important because if you can't say that the policy is necessary, then the government has to defend the policy on its own merits. So what's the merit, government, of adding thousands of dollars to the cost of the most affordable forms of transport, second-hand cars, if we don't have to do that? You know, if we don't have to hit people at the bottom hard uh, to deliver our emissions targets, government, what exactly is your case for doing this policy anyway? So the The emissions reduction plan, I think, has been entirely built on the idea that it's necessary to deliver um, the various targets that Parliament has set. That is certainly not true now that we have an ETS at $75. So we have to, we we should expect to see, but we're not going to, uh, the government seriously reconsider its entire case for doing these other tough policies that are really going to hurt families and businesses across the country. The government cannot possibly defend the argument that those policies are necessary, and I think it's not going to be able to defend those policies on their merits, because they don't have any. Ultimately, uh, they just mean we spend more money to cut the same emissions and get to the same targets. We can get those targets affordably with existing policies. So let's just do that. So we're going to be out there calling ministers and officials, anybody who stands up and says that we have to do this, it's vital, it's necessary, we have no choice. All of those statements will be untrue and we'll be out there with bells on making sure that officials are held to account when they mislead Parliament or mislead the New Zealand public. That's fantastic. Finally, we've got the uh, other big the big beast on the environment front, that is, of course, the Lake Onslow battery. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what's being proposed and why the Minister of Energy is saying it's probably necessary? Well, so Lake Onslow is, is a pumped hydro scheme. The idea is it's to create a new um, uh, artificial hydro lake, build a big dam and put water behind it. Um, But unlike uh, our existing hydro lakes, which collect their water through rainfall and melting snow, this is a pumped hydro scheme. And the way it works is that when electricity is cheap, there will be a, um, the electricity will be used when it's cheap to pump water uphill and store it in a large lake. And then when electricity is relatively expensive, that uh, water will be released downhill to generate electricity to be sold on the grid. So in principle, it's a nice, simple, you know, buy low, sell high type model. It's, and it's huge. It's going to create uh, an additional five gigawatt hours of storage. And to put that in context, the combined storage of, of all of our existing hydro lakes is about three gigawatt hours, about six weeks worth of electricity generation in the, in the middle of winter. So that's big by world standards at three, and this is going to add another five. So it's nearly going to triple our capacity. So that's a really big deal. The problem with Lake Onslow is that it looks like a dog uh, in several sense. It looks technically difficult. It involves drilling a 24-kilometre tunnel, um, at least partly through granite rock. Uh, it's near the main divide, the fault line through the Southern Alps. It's <laughs> it's just down the river from the Clyde Dam. It's got Muldoon written all over it. This uh, isn't going to cover its costs. Um, it's going to require, presumably, almost certainly it's going to require some kind of uh, financial support to keep its head above water. It's just going to cost more than the value of the energy it generates. 
Um, and I think worst of all, it's going to be this hugely difficult competitor. It's going to be large and, I guess, effectively aggressive competitor uh, for everybody else that's already in the market. So all the existing generators in the market are completely commercial. They they pay the cost of building generation. They recover the cost of its generation from solely from the sale of electricity. There's no subsidies. I think possibly uniquely in the OECD, we're the only country that just lets uh, ask generators to compete, and that's it. Wow. Onslow's going to disturb all of that. It's this huge loss-making competitor that's going to make it hard for everybody else. There's a risk with Onslow that it's going to disturb the market so much um, that it forces the government to into ever more uh, action. Sort of in the way that happened with Muldoon, where uh, a little bit of intervention led very quickly to a lot. And that's sort of the... That's actually a pattern in electricity. You've seen it in Britain over the last 10 years, where they've just had a cascade of, of ever more energy policies um, Nobody quite knows how they all work anymore because there's so many of them and it's so complicated. But the end result um, is is that you you pay a lot more for electricity and you compromise your energy security. Right now, Britain's on the edge of, of blackouts. They keep running into their reserve capacity and at some point, it's going to reach a point where they actually have blackouts. Now, and they're paying far more for electricity than what we do uh, and they've been a lot more coal than we do, um, although less than they used to. So... You know, the question is, what's the end game here? There's a real risk that Onslow is going to tip the whole electricity market um, over to something that Britain has moved to over the last 10 years and what we used to have in New Zealand um, under Muldoon and, and actually all the years through the last century before that, which is that you have cabinet and officials pretty much deciding where investment goes and then huge subsidies to make it happen. Um, and all the unintended consequences that, that come from that. At the moment, we've got a very simple system, no subsidies. Energy companies decide where to build next, and that's a really complicated question, right? You've got all these different technologies, all these different potential locations. You've got to work out that you know, there's genuine complexity here, and all of that's solved effortlessly for anybody who's not in the market, just us electricity consumers. Mm. We don't have to pay any subsidies. We just pay the power bill each month, and the electricity turns up. Super simple. Uh, and by the way, We've got a system that's just about more green than just about any other country in the world, comparably, comparably reliable, and some of the most ele- uh, affordable electricity anywhere in the world. The system's working great. And here you have Onslow, uh, pushed by a Minister of Energy who's decided that Onslow's the answer, as far as I can tell. Uh, for what? You know, for what? Uh, so I think the big question this year, the next thing that's going to happen in Onslow is the delivery of the Phase 1 feasibility study. That's going to happen in May, maybe. <laughs> So much slippage so far, who knows? I don't really believe any dates um, on this or anything else coming from this government. Phase two's due in December, and I think there's three interesting things that we're going to be looking for. The first is how seriously uh, do these studies consider alternatives to Onslow? I think the Minister for Energy uh, has decided Onslow's the answer. The question is how much latitude was given to study groups to look at, at alternatives. The second is how competently is the analysis done? I think Onslow, my view, Onslow's a dog. Nobody, almost nobody thinks Onslow's a good idea. The question is how honest uh, is the feasibility study about all the downsides of Onslow? And then the third question for me will be what's the model, the commercial model the government has in mind to make up the losses? Somebody's going to have to pay to cover the shortfall uh, in revenues for Onslow. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be the industry? Is it going to be a levy? Is it just going to be pulled out of general revenue? Uh, and I guess maybe a fourth issue is how seriously has uh, the government uh, considered wider consequences for the whole sector and, and how badly Onslow is going to disturb security of property of other, other generators and what that could mean. I suspect the government's going to ignore that completely. The government, This government is 
you know, we saw last week with the rapid antigen tests, seizing rapid antigen tests. It wasn't an emergency. The government went ahead and took those tests anyway. It doesn't seem to care about security of property. It doesn't seem to care about reputation effects. It doesn't seem to care or be aware of the fact that every time it seizes something and disturbs property in this way, that it's going to be that much harder to attract investment in the future. This government wants to transform the economy. It wants more investment in solar and wind and geothermal. Well, that's harder to get if you keep going in and disturbing um, property rights and shaking up markets without good reason. So... Totally, total incoherence in this whole space. So I think, you know, Onslow threatens to be another uh, seismic shockwave into a whole other sector, which is this time it's electricity. Uh, and I just, there's really no sign that this government seems to have an understanding of, of why property matters and what that means um, for prosperity. So uh, I'm pessimistic on the competence of this government and its awareness of, of how policy works. I think the thing that's going to save us, I don't think Onslow's going to get built, actually. Right. And the, the reason is, it's not because it's a dog, it's not because of the economics. Um, I think two things are going to save us. One is environmentalists. Uh, I think when Onslow starts to look real, you're going to ser- see a serious reaction from people who care about the environment to flooding 60 square kilometres of pristine high country landscape in Otago. I don't know if you've seen the photos, but it is a genuinely stunning uh, landscape and it's all going to be underwater or 60 square kilometres of it's going to be underwater if Onslow goes ahead. That's going to attract the attention uh, of environmentalists. And the other thing is that this government's just going to run out of road. I mean, it's uh, we're at the business case. This is the easiest part. They're doing desktop business study, business case studies. Uh, this is you know this is spreadsheets and and just you know reading reports and so on, uh, mainly. And already they're slipping. I think the final part of the business case was I think originally due last year. Now we still haven't got any part of the business case, and it won't arrive until at the moment it's May of this year. The second phase is due sometime at this early 2023 they're saying and then the third and final phase of the business case is sometime after that well you know the business case is slipping faster than we're moving through time and this is the easy part of the whole process the hard bit is when you have to start drilling 24 kilometers of tunnel through granite you know that's when it gets difficult so I think this government just isn't going to be in power long enough to reach the point of no return on Onslow and that's going to save us. Wow. Matt Burgess, thanks so much for joining us. It sounds like there is a lot more still to happen in 2022. So looking forward to uh, you keeping us all posted. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.